Are you ready to start living richer? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Live Richer podcast, hosted by Jamie Catmull, a podcast created for people to challenge and manage their ideas of wealth, culture, and money across the world, bringing you the best personal finance advice to make more, save more, and live richer. Now, here's your host, Jamie Catmull. There are many important ideas that can lead you to financial success and to being able to live richer, but some of them are not as obvious. They aren't the ones you hear every day, but when you do, and if they're explained so that they make sense, they seem so obvious and so brilliant. One expert who knows these ideas and can communicate them so clearly is Rick Edelman. He's a financial advisor, a best-selling author, and a podcaster. But most of all, he's a great communicator. You're about to hear a conversation that might just transform how you feel about some things that can lead to your ability to live richer. It's now my privilege to welcome Rick Edelman. Rick, I'm so excited to have you here on the show today, especially to ask you all these questions when it comes to Bitcoin. Is it still really a good investment? Um, Social Security, will it be taxed in our 401ks and the future of AI? And are we going to lose our jobs from it and what we can do to actually make some money from it? So super excited to have you here and go over those couple things with us. Thank you, Jamie. It's good to be with you. And I think you're hitting on the three biggest topics uh, of conversation today in the field of personal finance. So we can tackle them one by one. Your choice, which to go first. Let's go with Social Security first. Do you think it will be taxed? Do you think that we'll end up taxing 401ks? And will it even be there? I guess now I'm going to even throw another question. Will it even be there? The short answer is yes. Social Security will be there in the future. But let's make sure everybody understands exactly what's going on. Social Security is in trouble. There's no question about it. But um, let's make sure we understand why. The Social Security system works in a very simple, elegant way. Uh, workers pay Social Security taxes. Uh, we pay a combined about 12.5% of our paycheck. Half of that comes out of our paycheck. Half of it is paid by our employer. Total 12.5%. That money goes into the Social Security Administration. They take that money and they use it to pay benefits to current retirees. Now, when the system was created way back in 1935, there were 135 workers for every retiree. You know, that's because there weren't very many people age 65 back in the 1930s. Today, the situation is very different. Instead of 135 workers for every retiree, there are three workers for every retiree. People are living longer than ever before. It's common to find people in their 80s, 90s, even their hundreds. And the social security system was never designed to pay so much in benefits to so many people for so many decades. And the result is that we aren't collecting enough in tax revenue to be able to pay all the benefits that people are receiving. So how is the social security administration solving this problem? by dipping into the Social Security Trust Fund. You see, for decades, we were collecting more in taxes than we needed to pay out benefits. The excess tax revenue went into a piggy bank called the Trust Fund. Well, now it has gone upside down. We no longer are generating enough in taxes to pay all the benefits, and that's forcing the Social Security Administration to dip into that trust fund. The result is this. 
at the rate that they're spending the money out of the trust fund, in 2032, we're talking about seven, eight, nine years, the trust fund will be gone. It'll be depleted. And at that time, the only money that Social Security will have to pay benefits are the taxes that it's collecting. And that is only about 76% of the money they need. In other words, if you're a retiree 10 years from now, your benefits will be cut about 23, 24%. This is true for every retiree across the country, no matter how rich or poor you are, no matter how big or small your social security check, it's going to get cut by about 24%. This is unless Congress acts to solve the problem. And there are only two things, Jamie, Congress can do. They can raise the taxes or they can reduce the benefits. Nobody gets elected in Congress by doing either one of those things. So this is why the problem hasn't been solved. Everybody's aware of it. Nobody's really proposing solutions to it because the only solutions are to increase taxes or reduce benefits. One or the other is going to have to happen over the next eight years. So to answer your question, are they going to start taxing 401k plans? Maybe. Are they going to increase Social Security taxes? Maybe. Will they increase overall taxes? Maybe. Will they delay or reduce benefits for certain people? Maybe. We're going to have to wait and see what Congress does, but they're going to have to do something or millions, tens of millions of retirees are going to be in difficult financial circumstances in about nine or 10 years. So what should we do to protect our own future? You need to see that this freight train is coming so that you can anticipate it. If you are reaching retirement or preparing for retirement, take a look at how much money you're projected to get from Social Security. You can go to ssa.gov. They will tell you very quickly and easily how much money your monthly benefit will be. Cut it by 20%. You need to assume that future benefits will be less than current benefits. That's really scary. I think this, that what scares a lot of people, especially if it's in 20 years, you're like, well, what are they gonna do? Maybe they'll raise the retirement age like they've done in other countries. I mean, who knows what's going to happen and what the future brings. So that leads me to a whole nother thing I wanted to talk about is where should we invest our money? People are saying we should put it, some people are still riding the Bitcoin train. I know you are, so should we do that? Well, I'm a big fan of diversification, as you know. There are 15 or 20 major asset classes and market sectors. Crypto is an asset class. And so, yes, I am convinced it belongs in a diversified portfolio. I recommend a 1% asset allocation. You don't need to buy a lot of Bitcoin in order to have an exposure to this asset class. You don't even necessarily have to buy Bitcoin. There are lots of different digital assets. There are crypto ETFs. There are uh, private funds of crypto. There are companies that engage in the crypto community that build uh, the technology. There are lots of different ways to invest, but just like there are lots of ways to invest in the stock market, the bond market, the real estate market, the gold market, the oil market, there's the crypto market. And so, yes, you should have an exposure if you believe in long-term diversification for your investment strategy. So I'm a person who's actually scared of it. I'm going to be honest. I've been, I even told my husband, pull out. I get all nervous about it. So for us weary individuals who believe the bank's trying to shut crypto down and we're worried about it, but you think, okay, maybe I should still do it. Is there an ETF or something you would suggest people or 
edu- educate us on that. Tell us yeah. what you think or some out there. That are Your good. fears are understandable, Jamie, because this is a new emerging technology. Gary Gensler, who's the chair of the SEC, is clearly not a fan of, of crypto. Uh, and we have seen uh, several banks closed by the FDIC, partly because of their participation in the crypto community. So there is a period of uncertainty we're going through right now that is raising questions from investors. You're you're not crazy at all to be concerned about it. That's one of the reasons I recommend only a 1% allocation. With 1%, if it goes bad, that's not going to destroy your financial future. But if it goes well, if Bitcoin does perform as many of us believe that it could, this could have a materially uh, beneficial uh, impact on your total portfolio. So we think it makes sense for a small amount. Now, having said that, you don't have to buy Bitcoin, as I mentioned. You can invest in crypto ETFs. They are offered by lots of companies, Charles Schwab, GlobalX, uh, Invesco. Um, There are a wide variety of these ETFs that invest not in crypto, but instead they invest in companies that are building the technology that underlies Bitcoin and other digital assets. For example, NVIDIA, which makes the chips that Bitcoin miners use. Uh, Companies like Coinbase, which is a digital asset exchange. Um, IBM, which is a very large blockchain business. Uh, MicroStrategy, which owns $6 billion worth of Bitcoin, a major uh, business intelligence um, consulting company. So there are a lot of different ways that you can do this, even including through ordinary ETFs. Uh, Also from Bitwise Asset Management, Uh, there are a wide variety of these that you should consider for your portfolio. And folks, this is coming from a person who Barron's ranked number one, I believe, when it comes to financial advisors, independent financial advisors. Yeah, I was ranked the number one independent advisor in the nation three times by Barron's. The firm I founded is still ranked the number one firm in the nation by Barron's. We were also ranked the number one firm in the country for quality by Consumer Reports. Uh, So I've got a long track record of advising clients, helping people with their financial planning, building investment portfolios for them. Uh, And I'm a big fan of three things, diversification, long-term investing, and dollar cost averaging. In other words, if you invest slowly over time, don't invest all your money today, Jamie. With your dumb luck, the market will crash tomorrow. (laughs) Invest a little bit of your money today. You know, instead of investing $1,000 today, invest $100 a month for 10 months. That's called dollar cost averaging. That smooths out the volatility. And then maintain a long-term investment uh, perspective and diversify 12 eggs and 12 baskets. It's a safer way to invest. Another thing that we I want to talk about here is about AI and investing in that, or are we going to lose our jobs to that? I know you're really big in the whole um, new digital space and technology. And I even heard your podcast where you discussed AI. Is it going to take your job away? And I really liked it. And I wanted to hear a little bit more and share that perspective to others that maybe didn't hear that podcast. Well, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I do a daily podcast, as you know, called The Truth About Your Future. And uh, last month, I played a a, a trick podcast for my listeners. They were listening to a podcast uh, where I was talking about crypto, but as they listened, they learned at the end of that podcast that the podcast really wasn't about crypto after all. In fact, that podcast was written by ChatGPT. And 
it wasn't even my voice. The audio was delivered by another site called Eleven Labs, which is a synthetic audio company. They replicated my voice and delivered the podcast that was written by AI, and the audience had no idea. It sounded like me in voice, and it seemed like me in terms of content. And the message that I was conveying to everybody is that this is the future. So when you ask the question, Jamie, is your job at risk? Lots of our jobs at risk. Yeah. Between robotics and artificial intelligence, it's projected that over the next decade, half of all the occupations in America are going to be going away because the technology is able to do the jobs that we do faster and cheaper more accurately with better outcomes and results than humans are able to do it. And by the way, ChatGBT never engages in harassment in the workplace, doesn't show up drunk, doesn't call in sick, and it's a lot cheaper to operate. So employers are clearly interested in this technology because it allows them to execute their business strategy more predictably at lower cost with better results in many cases than humans can do. So yeah, we need to pay a lot of attention to this. Now, it's still early, but it's evolving at a very, very rapid pace. The bottom line is this. If you are engaged in data, information, odds are very good that a portion of your job can be done by the technology. Now, this doesn't mean you need to be scared. It means you need to be adaptive. You need to figure out how to use this technology to make it easier for you to do your job. Let the tech do the grunt parts of your job. Like we use spell checkers now in Word. We don't bother checking our own spellings. Let the tech do the grunt work so we can do the stuff that requires the human brain power, the analytics, the envisioning, the creativity, the dreaming, the managing. This is stuff that the tech is not yet ready to, able to do. And so while on the one hand, a lot of jobs are going to disappear, on the other hand, brand new jobs are going to be created, and the new jobs are going to be better than the old jobs. They'll be better pay, they'll have better lifestyle, they'll be more interesting, they'll be more productive. So we need to embrace all of this rather than worry about it. But the one thing you must not do, you must not ignore this because it's not going away. Well, what do you do? How do you get educated on it? I know everybody says, oh, it's those who know how to run AI are the ones who are going to be financially okay as far as in the workforce. It's like they know how to use it and things like that. But how does one get educated on that? So it's real simple. You go to OpenAI, which is the company that makes ChatGPT, and uh, there's a menu there. You select ChatGPT. It's free. And you enter a question. You simply say, my occupation is blank. Do I need to be afraid that I will lose my job because of you? ChatGPT will answer the question. It will tell you what you need to do to keep your job, how your job is go going to evolve, the type of training you need to give yourself in order to remain competitive in the workplace, and you can turn ChatGPT into your ally. What do I need to do to keep my job? What skills do I need to develop? Can you tell me how to develop those skills? Can you help me develop them? Can you show me what parts of my job you can do for me so that I can do other things? Use ChatGPT to help you figure it all out.
And this would go for even if you're sending your kids to school and they're trying to get a degree, make sure they don't go and get a degree and go in huge debt on a job that won't even exist because colleges do not care if that job's going to, you're going to be able to get a job when you get out. They just want to take your money, basically. Jamie, I completely agree with you. I'm, I'm a real big critic of today's higher education system. Uh, in fact, I produced a, a master class, which you can get at my website uh, at The Truth About Your Future, called How to Prevent College from Ruining Your Child lives. We have to be very, very careful for two reasons. Number one, as you just said, a great many college degrees today will prove to be worthless in the future. Oh yeah. These occupations will not exist. I don't know why anybody would go into the accounting field right now, quite frankly. Computers are going to be preparing tax returns. They're going to be providing auditing services. Even PwC has just announced that they're investing a billion dollars into ChatGPT technology to automate the work that its own staff does. So clearly, we have to ask ourselves, is it appropriate for me to pursue a degree in journalism? When ChatGPT can write news articles, we already have news articles being written by computer that are used by the Associated Press and Forbes magazine and many others. When you look at sports stories, stories about the weather and the traffic, those are all being written by computer. So why do you want to pursue a degree in a field that computers can do easier, faster, cheaper than you can? So you clearly need to talk to your high school kids about the degrees they're going to pursue to make sure that those degrees are actually going to exist in the future. That's the first issue. The second issue is to make sure that your child is choosing the right college. It doesn't make any sense anymore to spend $100,000 or $200,000 for most kids to go to college. Increasingly, states across the country are providing free two-year degrees at community colleges. Some states, like New York, are even paying for four-year degrees throughout the state's uh, school system at the uh, state university system in New York. Uh, there are dozens of employers that will pay for your college degree. Disney, Starbucks, Walmart, Fidelity, there are dozens of companies that will pay for your college degree because they need you to get the skill set to help them run their businesses. So the need for you to send your kid to a college to study in a field that has no value and to spend six years and 200 grand getting that degree is simply wrong. We need to reevaluate how we apply the college experience to our child's futures so that college prepares them for life instead of ruining their life. Yeah, I have personal experience with my stepchildren where they've one of them graduated from college and is now in serious debt and cannot get a job. And it's been two years now because with their degree, they're not able to get a job. And I just can't even believe that they could charge something for a degree that you can't even get a job with. You know, they tell these kids they're going to all these things are going to happen for them because they went to NYU and there's all this stuff. and. Then they get out and they can't get that, get anything, actually. You know, it's just really sad because they don't even have the skill sets that they need to get a job. Yeah, you're exactly right. Let me give you just two examples of how broken our college system is. We have two different sets of tuition, in-state, out-of-state, for state colleges. And when you think about it, it doesn't make any sense. We have students who live in New Jersey going to college in California and we have kids in California going to college in New Jersey. They're both paying out-of-state tuition. Why? 
it makes it's only to enable the colleges to earn more tuition revenue. Why does it matter what the residency of the student is in terms of how much money you're charging them? That's like walking into a restaurant and having the restaurant saying, what state do you live in? That will determine what I charge you for the pasta. Makes no sense. Here's another problem with college today. When you have any university, I guarantee you they have two majors. They have an education major and they have a biology major. Yeah. The biology major is going to make a lot more money than the education major because they're studying the sciences. They're going to have a career in, in that field and they're probably going to make more money than school teachers. But get this, the cost to the college to train the biologist is a lot more than the cost to train a school teacher. In biology, you need laboratories. You need all the scientific gear. Education majors need a desk and a chalkboard. Why are they paying the same rate of tuition? The education major is subsidizing the cost of tuition for the biology major. It's totally unfair. That's the way our, our education system works today. We are not paying based on the degree that I'm pursuing or the school that I'm pursuing it at. We are instead in a cartel environment where the prices are artificially rendered in order to serve the interest of the institution rather than the students. It would be like every car costing the same, even though cars are radically different in their quality. It doesn't happen anywhere except in higher ed. That's a crime. I can't believe they get away with it. I can't believe us as consumers, parents, allow them to. And why did we don't stop it? Because parents are unfamiliar with all of this scenario, because most parents went to college 20, 30, 40 years ago when the cost of college was much less, the likelihood of incurring debt was much lower. Today, the scenario is radically different. We now have $1.9 trillion worth of student loan debt. We now owe in this country more money to student loans than to credit cards. And we need to recognize that college is no longer about personal fulfillment. It's no longer about making the world a better place. Going to college today is about developing skills to be able to get a career that pays a high income. And that means we need to apply the cost-benefit ratio. We need to get that degree as inexpensively as possible. And that means the child should not go to the number one school of their choice merely because they want to go there. They need to choose a school that is affordable. And that likely means an in-state school. That means they get through the degree in four years, not six. And it means that they don't change schools and they don't change majors because doing that radically increases the amount of cost they'll incur to get the degree. We need to reevaluate how we deal with college. And that's why if you've got kids headed to college, you need to have them watch my master class at the Truth About Your Future website. Everybody hear that? Watch Rick's master class. I mean, you have to. I wish I would have. I, I know tons and tons of people who have fallen into this trap and I feel so sorry for them. And like right now with the way everything is, to have that type of debt over your head is a huge deal. And a lot of people take out parent loans too, along with their child, and they end up in financial trouble. And now they can't retire because they have those things on there. And to hear that Social Security is going to be gone or going to be less, all these things. What does a person do to make sure that they're secure financially? I mean, right now, don't 
go into debt for your child and don't let your child go into debt when they go to college. Diversify. But who do I go to help me with all these things? You know, I mean, it's hard. A lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. How do we even get there? Well, obviously, uh, as the founder of the largest financial planning and investment management firm in the country, I'm biased as to what firm you should turn to. But the good news is this. There's a lot of really great talent throughout the country of financial advisors. There are now a lot of online sites, robo-advisors, automated investment services. There are a lot of discount brokers such as Schwab and Fidelity that are available. You'd be surprised at how broad the array of resources are for you to save and invest. I would argue that you should do two things, James. We talked about the strategy, long-term diversifying with dollar cost averaging, but really it gets much more fundamental than that. You really only need to do two things. Number one, spend less than you earn. If you'll do that one thing, you will have money left over every month that you can set aside for your future. And number two, pay yourself first, meaning Before you pay any bills, before you pay for the credit card or the car payment or the rent or mortgage, before you buy food and clothes and insurance, set aside a little bit of money, 10 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever you think you can afford, set that aside first in a bank account or in a brokerage account, and then pay your bills. You'll be broke at the end of the month. Everybody is always broke at the end of the month, but now you'll be broke with savings instead of being broke without savings. And if you'll just do those couple of things, spend less than you earn, pay yourself first, you'll be amazed. Before you know it, you'll be starting to accumulate money. I think that's that people just need to know that there's some hope out there and they just, you can do it. Just pay yourself first. You'll probably be in the same scenario you were anyway, you know, broke at the end of the month, but at least you put something aside for that rainy day or whatever might be happening. Let me mention one other thing you alluded to as a parent. Uh, you're terribly concerned about your children and your stepchildren yeah. and your, you, 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 you know, your heart is on your sleeve every day as you worry about them. And many parents, the majority, in fact, in a recent survey, say that they spend more money helping to support their adult children than they spend on their own retirement savings. My message to you as mom and dad, knock it off. You need to save for your retirement first. Before you save for your kid's college, before you financially support adult children, before anything, you must save for your own retirement. Now, that sounds selfish. It sounds like you're putting your life ahead of theirs. But think about this. You can pay for your car while you're driving your car right? That's what a car loan is. You can live in your house while you're paying for your house. That's what a mortgage is. You can pay for college while you have your career. That's what student debt is. But you cannot pay for retirement in retirement. Retirement must be pre-funded. You have to save for retirement while you're still earning an income because you won't be able to save for retirement once you're there. Now that's good advice, Rick. And I think we all need to hear it. I even was talking to someone the other day and I said, they go, I don't spend a lot of money. Really, the only place I spend money is on my kids. And that was the, if you ask a lot of parents, they'll say, you know, I never go shopping. I'm really not doing anything, but I never have any money. And I said, well, where do you think you're spending your money? And they're like, it's my kids. Right. It's their extracurricular activities. It's yep. all the things they're doing. And yep. we go to Disneyland and go in debt or, you know, these crazy things for our children. Yep. Not thinking, like you said, that 
the time will come and you'll have to retire and you can't work anymore. Then you'll become a burden to your kids, which you don't want to do. Exactly. And you, you have to remember you're doing this because you love them because otherwise right. you will be burdening them. Right. That, that is such great advice. And Rick, I always ask everybody the question, what does live richer mean to you? It means uh, supporting the community. Uh, Gene and I are very active uh, philanthropically. Um, we're heavily involved uh, at Rowan University. Um, my wife is a trustee there. She's on the board. And we're the benefactors of Edelman Fossil Park and Museum, which is under construction right now. We've also provided the funding for the Edelman Planetarium, and we uh, provide a lot of scholarships and other support to uh, the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts. And we do a lot of work as well in the Alzheimer's space. Uh, we're working very hard to beat this dreadful disease. So our living richly for us, living a fulfilling life for us means supporting the community and those around us. Uh, I'll tell you, there's, there's nothing more fun you can spend money on than on uh, other people. I agree with you wholeheartedly there. And I didn't know you were in the, did stuff for Alzheimer's. My grandmother actually died of Alzheimer's. So oh. I love hearing that, that people are out there trying to do something and help people that have the disease and preventing the disease. So thank you for doing that, Rick. And thank for educating us every day. I started listening to your podcast the last couple of weeks every day because it helps you. It keeps you on track and it's answering the questions that we're all thinking about today. And I would suggest everyone go and listen to Rick's podcast. Rick, is it everywhere? I'm guessing it's everywhere. Yes, everywhere you get your podcasts, The Truth About Your Future with Rick Edelman. I, I really appreciate your, your thoughts, Jamie. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. It's short. I love that it's like, what, 10 minutes? Yeah, it ranges from three to 10 minutes, Monday through Thursday. Friday is long form. We do interviews with folks, uh, but it's simple, easy, quick, and gives you a thought of the day that can really be of value to you. It will be of value to you, I promise you. And Rick has it's also a New York Times bestselling author. I forgot to mention that. So go to Amazon, just put in his name and grab his books. He's awesome all the way around as a good person. And I'm so glad that he came here today. And I want to remind all of you to do the one thing that I always ask all of you to do, and that is to live richer. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you go, we'd love for you to subscribe to our show to catch all of our updates. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your burning questions about money and how to live your best life? Reach us at livericherpod at gobankingrates.com.